Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study. We are excited uh, that you are here again, and we're excited about unpacking uh, the Word of God today. Uh, so a couple of things I want to make you aware of, uh, and then we'll then we'll jump right in into it. Uh, this Wednesday Bible study, uh, that's when it runs live. Uh, and, and there's all kinds of archives you can go back and listen to uh, Bible studies you've missed in this series. This series is on Genesis. Uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 9 today if you want to go ahead and get there. Uh, and uh, we're walking through that word for word throughout Scripture. Uh, and there's others that you can find by simply going to BurgessMinistries.com and uh, click on the uh, the Listen button, or you can go to the RickandBubba.com website and click on the YouTube channel there and find these archives. It's live on the YouTube channel at noon Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern, uh, most every Wednesday, uh, and uh, you're welcome to join us. Uh, and, of course, uh, those of you in the Birmingham, Alabama area, you're welcome to join us here in the room if you would like. And uh, the, the, as we're coming out of a two-year pandemic, men are finding their way back to the studio now. the The Bible study at, at its at its foundation is a men's Bible study, but of course, women can watch this and listen to this, and certainly going through books of the Bible. That's for everybody. But uh, I do want to update you on what is going on with themanchurch.com, and that's uh, the website that has uh, the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, that we have churches all over the country and around the world that are implementing this, and and so part of that is uh, is us going out and being actually in the room with men, or uh, or, or we're there via video or we're actually there. So here's some here's some opportunities uh, that you can uh, you can come out and see what's going on. Uh, March 3rd, tomorrow night, if you're watching this live, Thursday, March 3rd, I'll be in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I'm excited to be there, Central Baptist Church, speaking at Beast Feast. The entire Man Church team will be there with all of our resources, and that's uh, curriculum and devotionals and information about the strategy if you want to come see us. Uh, also want to remind you about this weekend, Saturday, we've got a Man Church one day, Old Friendship Baptist Church. Um, they're uh, near Henderson, t- Tennessee, in the community of, of her, I've heard it's spelled Finger, but you're supposed to say Finger, uh, Tennessee. Uh, and we'll have Brian Gunn speaking there with Scott Dawson. Uh, so that's going to be a breakfast. They're going to serve you breakfast, have a session, give you a lunch, have a session, and then you'll be out by 1 o'clock there local time. Find those details at themanchurch.com under upcoming events. Also on the 5th, I told you we offered that video option. Uh, I'll be kicking off uh, the men's discipleship strategy at Indian Grave Baptist Church, Billingsley, Alabama, via video. Uh, they've gotten the kickoff package. You can get that at themanchurch.com. It features everything you need to kick off the curriculum and then dial in. So, uh, guys, I hope you'll come out. That's a morning event, too, a breakfast. And then uh, watch that kickoff message and plug in uh, to the men's discipleship strategy. Lakeside Baptist Church, that's in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, Andy Blanks will be speaking there uh, for their next man church. They're going through the, um, the curriculum March the 11th. Uh, Michael Helms, Helmsley from the Rick and Bubba Show, Mexi Baptist Church in Mexi, Alabama, near Frisco City and Moreauville there in Alabama. He'll be speaking at their man church. That's their kickoff to get into the men's discipleship strategy. March 17th, Mark Garnett speaking at First Baptist Church, Columbus, Mississippi. That's their fourth man church. They're finishing curriculum number one, going into curriculum number two. Um, the, and, and then by video again, 
on March the 19th, I'll be kicking it off at Bethel Baptist Church in Dora, Alabama, uh, and they'll be starting the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, also want to point you to an event that's going on on March 25th. Uh, that'll be in Rootville, Georgia at uh, Rootville Road Baptist Church, uh, and I'll be there for their annual Low Country Boil and we'll have all of our resources there for, for you as well. So if you want to get information about what's going on, just go to themanchurch.com. Uh, you can also go to burgessministries.com and, of course, rickandbubba.com, uh, information found at all three of those websites uh, involving things that we have going on. All right, so let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into Genesis chapter 9. Lord, we pray to you, help us to discern, uh, like today, that there's some difficulty here. Some things sometimes that our finite brains have a hard time wrapping our minds around, but help us to understand it today. Help us uh, to, to understand you as best we can, uh, but not to use um, an excuse that you are more, you're certainly more than we could ever comprehend, praise your holy name, but we should also be sure that we don't use that as an excuse not to even try. Uh, so we need whatever you've told us in your word is there for a reason, and you help us to discern that correctly. Uh, help us to take the application that is out there today. There's a warning here, uh, and, and apply that to our lives as well. Uh, we do today, Lord, uh, pray for all the, the the men that are working with the the team, Man Church, uh, going out all over the country. Uh, cover them, Lord. Protect them from our greatest enemy, which is ourselves. Uh, you know, be with Rich Wingo on our team, who uh, is you know having some health issues, Lord. I pray that you be with him, that he get to the other side of that and identify what the problem is and and uh, come up with a solution. So uh, I pray that you be with him, so he can get back out there and uh, and back on the road uh, and take our time together and bless it, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter nine. What what's happening here um, is we're going to have. Um, if you take this this the, uh, title, the chapter nine, probably one of the best titles I saw in some of the commentaries, and I agree with that, is God's covenant was going to be established in nine, and then future races of people are going to be forecast here in nine. But uh, verses one through seven uh, will will revolve around God's blessings for future life and man's responsibility. Remember, this is a uh, this is the family getting off of the ark. They're now settling in to what's going to happen next. Uh, God is, is handing out these instructions. So let's look at, uh, at verse 1. This one is pretty straightforward. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth. Does this sound familiar? Genesis 1, 28, same thing, the same commandment that was given to Adam and Eve is now being uh, given again. Uh, and then uh, we continue in uh, in verse 2. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Okay, so we, we see this. Remember, when you look ahead to the new heaven and the new earth, the final heaven, the final earth, you do see that this uh, the 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 fear of animals of human beings is is going to be taken away, and our fear of animals is going to be taken away. And you're going to see things like you know you can go pet a lion. You can uh, I don't like this analogy, but apparently snakes have make it somewhere where a child can play by the 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 the, the snake's hole and doesn't have to worry about you know anything. So we know that that, that when this thing is finished. Uh, this uh, killing of animals and animals trying to kill us is going to be over. 
But we see clearly here it's still we're still in a fallen state. This is a do-over, but it's not God's final plan. This is almost like a, a midstream deal here because a lot of the problems with the fall, as you're going to see, they're still here. Uh, he he has he has just uh, he has wiped everybody off the face of the earth except these eight, but these eight are still stepping out into a and he's made that clear a fallen creation, and and now he wants to replenish and 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 start more people, but this issue about and you're going to see it uh, graphically here in a minute, um, this is something that is still part of the fall. Remember what's the first thing that happened when Adam and Eve fell? He provided animal skins for them to cover themselves. We'll see about this shame of nakedness is in chapter 9-2 that comes from the original fall. So we know at that moment God started killing animals and started using animals to provide for um, uh, for Adam and Eve because they got clothing and they also um, that was that that a life of, of, of an animal was was taken to provide for them. So that is continuing apparently. Uh, in nine, because I think, especially our society, we tend to make idols out of things we shouldn't make idols out of. And one of the things that you see as part of the fall is elevating animals to a place of idolatry. You know, you, we we have a movement in, in our country and in, in, in parts of the world where animals have been elevated to be equal to human beings or even above human beings, which is blasphemy. That that's sin to do that. If you want to if you want to have a, a domesticated pet and treat it real well, you should. But if you elevate that above your children, above your spouse, above human beings, you ever hear these people, I I, I like to hang out with animals because I don't like people, you know, that that kind of stuff. Well, that that's that's not how God intended it because once again, you see him saying that man is given dominion over the animals and man is elevated to a higher creation. Than animals, and you'll see this if you'll turn over <clears throat> to uh, James chapter three. Uh, look over to James chapter three, and and you'll actually see this being addressed, and it's addressed more times than this. But this is an, an example of it being ad- addressed in the uh, in, in the New Testament because James is going to talk about this chapter three, and then look at uh, look at verse seven uh, of James. And you know James is pretty straightforward. We we've we've talked about that when we did our study on James. Uh, look at seven. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. So he goes on to say there's a dominion of human beings over animals. Of course, James goes on to say, but for some reason we can't tame our tongue. Uh, but uh, but there, there's that dominion that we're talking about again uh, in verse two. So let's look at verse three. And now it really gets graphic. <clears throat> every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Uh, and as I gave you the green plants, I will give you everything. So here it's established. So anybody who tells you that um, we're not supposed to eat meat, uh, some, that somehow that's some immoral thing to do, not not in the fallen state it's not. Now will we get back to being you know, plants only or some kind of food that God provides for us that doesn't require animals to be slaughtered? Maybe, but it, it, we, you see real clear that when this new family gets off of this ark, they're told that they're going to eat animals, and we're about to be told even how to prepare them. So anybody that tells you that we're supposed to just be eating plants only, that's just not true because God, uh, if, if you prefer that, that's fine. That's your business, but don't be saying that it's immoral to eat animals because God himself has spoke to this, okay? And, um, and, and he's telling us right now that they're food for you, 
And he says, just like the plants, remember in the beginning, he said, I provided all these plants for you to eat. He says, now I'm going to add to the menu. Thank God for that. I'm going to add to the menu meat. I'm thankful he added it. Uh, but, but, uh, but again, if, if he decides he wants to do away with that again, uh, when I'm in perfection in the new heaven, new earth, I don't care. Whatever he provides is going to be right. Uh, but, but, but right now, he says, you know, I, you still got salad. You still got the fruits. You still got the vegetables. But I'm going to put a little meat on there now in this, in this new state. So, so that is, uh, is obviously, you know, good news if you, if you like meat. Uh, so he, he keeps his promise uh, of plants for food, but now animals have also been added. Now, God goes as far as to say, and I got a way I want you to prepare it. Now, I think we need to pay attention to that because he says there's a way that it should be done in verse 4. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Uh, so remember, he says when you're preparing these animals to eat, drain the blood. Drain, drain the blood from it. Uh, and this is, of course, going to be a foreshadowing of uh, the Levitical offerings that are going to be coming. This is that sacrificial system now that's being established because what, what does the Bible tells, uh, tell us is in the blood? Life. The very life of an animal or a human is in the blood. What's kind of cool about that is the Bible told us that before science figured it out, uh, that, uh, that, there, that there is life in the blood. And so a human and an, humans and animals uh, were given life in the blood by God, but, um, but it must be treated with respect by man, meaning even in animals. So this is th- let me tell you what this is not. And, uh, and, and I'm not going to get on the soapbox here. I, I, I fish, I hunt, I enjoy that. It, it doesn't make me, you know, people say this is not something that makes me more of a man than somebody who doesn't like it. You know, I don't, I, just want, I, don't, I don't like in men's ministry when we, we talk about men and, hey, we're, it's time for us to be men, and all we do is show images of people playing sports, hunting, and fishing. So somebody says, well, what if I don't do those things? It almost looks like we think you're not a man. That has nothing to do with being a man. Uh, uh, you, you, uh, if you're a devout follower of Jesus Christ, you're a man. If you're not, I don't care how many mountains you've climbed, how many deer you've killed, how many fish you've caught, how many bar fights you've won, you're not a man. Uh, because, but you're, 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 you're a problem to society. A real man is a follower of Jesus, period. Okay, so, so but but let me tell you one thing for those of us that do hunt whatever. I, I'll tell you one thing God doesn't want to see is for us to be wasteful. I don't think God is saying, look, this is, this is not a, a mild thing to slaughter an animal and eat it. So I don't want you out there just shooting the place up and killing animals for no reason at all that you're not even going to consume and then to treat them with such disregard. I think there is a responsibility to do it the way God would have us do it, and that is to kill the animal with, you know, uh, uh, it, where it would suffer the least amount it could and then to prepare it the way he said to prepare it. And if you've got enough, then that's probably enough. And if you have enough, then give some to somebody who does it. But this thing of just I'm out here just to shoot animals up for no reason, uh, that, that, I don't I don't think that's anything that that, that that God intended in this animal human being thing. Are we elevated above them? Sure. Can we kill them? Absolutely. Uh, is that a is that a crime to kill them? It isn't. But there is a way to go about it, and and that and that's what he's saying. And 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 one thing is that you're going to drain the blood from it before you consume it. Uh, verse five. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast, and I will require it from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Once again, what's God saying here? 
I got a way I want you to handle animals, but now I want to talk about you killing a human being. That's going to be a greater offense. That isn't going to be allowed for you to kill somebody in, that's innocent. Now, this isn't talking about wars, and it isn't talking about uh, people who've been given the death sentence, and we'll get into that about crime because death sentence is about to show up. But what we are talking about is if you kill a human being who's innocent, then there's going to be a reckoning for that, and I'm going to take your life on earth for you doing that. Killing an animal doesn't require your life. Killing a human being does. And he says, I'll even require the life of an animal who kills a human being. So he, he, the killing of a human being, he's making it very, very clear that I created human beings, we the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Man was created in our image and is treated differently than animals. Animals were not created in, in our image. Man was. So there's a reckoning when you kill a man. And he's making that extremely clear. Uh, and, uh, and he says human blood, again, is, it's a higher standard uh, than even animals uh, who, who take human life blood. Uh, if, a, if a human being or animal kills a human being who is innocent, then that person should be killed, according to God. And, uh, and, that, and I'm not talking about being vigilantes or anything like that. We're talking about law and order here. Uh, so then, um, verse 6, look at this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man, what I just said, in his own image. This is clarifying uh, that mankind was made in the image of God, and whoever takes an innocent human's life will ultimately face who is judge? God. He will face God as judge. Uh, if, if you want to see, you can write some of these down. In Numbers 35, 31, Look what it says. Turn over to Numbers. Numbers 35, 31. And you'll see this extremely clear, uh, how, this is, uh, how this is being laid out. Numbers uh, 35, 31. Let me turn over to it. Because, you know, in, the, in those days, a lot of times if there was a crime committed, you could pay a ransom and, uh, and you could find, you could be, you know, clear that off your record. Uh, but what you're going to see here is that God says when it comes to humans beings, human beings, there'll be no ransom that can be paid. Uh, chapter 35, and then go to Numbers 31. More, moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer. Keep in mind, underlining murderer is important here. because this is, Murdering someone is different than, hey, we've got nation against nation. Uh, we, we're punishing you. Uh, by the law, it, it, murder means I killed you in cold blood. I killed you innocent. You, you had there was no reason for you to be killed other than I just I took you out for something you did to me, or I took you out because I didn't want you here. Whatever the case, if you're a murderer, because remember the camp, commandment doesn't say thou shalt not kill. That's incorrect in English. It's thou shalt not murder. So it says um, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. So it, it's real straightforward, and, and God is clarifying why, because man, man was made in my image. Uh, so there will be um, a death sentence for anyone who's found guilty of murdering a human being. Uh, this also harkens to what? Cain slaying Abel. You, you see this kind of echoing. The death penalty is not just here. This, this is a great statement. The death penalty is not just here as a deterrent but more of a statement of the unique value of a human life before God. 
Let me say that again because that's important. The way God sees the death sentence for the murder of a human being, it's not just there to, to terrify you and say, man, maybe I shouldn't murder people. It's bigger than that. It's trying to make a statement is this is how much I value a human being. This is what it means to me. I'm handing down this judgment. This is my statement of how I see it as God. That's very important. Uh, it's it's not just hey that's a good idea that might keep people from murdering people I, I'm sure it can be a deterrent and I'm gl- I'm I'm glad that works but that's not really why God put it down He was putting it down to make a statement on how He values human life and uh, and that's something we need to think about you know with the things that we're allowing to go on uh, with people that we are denying life to um, He's making a statement on how He sees that too It's not unforgivable but we do have we do have to quit acting like we're not doing what we're doing. You know, you, you can repent of it and you can be forgiven, but uh, the taking of innocent human life is a really, really big deal to God based on his own word, not my opinion. Uh, verse 7, so you, you see him say, And you, talking to Noah and his sons and their wives, be fruitful and multiply. Um, and um, it says um, uh, to team on the earth and multiply in it. So he's telling them, for sure that he wants them producing offspring and he wants them to multiply. And this is one of the things that I've heard people talk about. Um, and it gets kind of touchy, but the reason why this is going on is you're seeing, and it's going to go south pretty quick, but you're seeing God saying, I want the people like you that fear me and, and, and uh, you, you, you were, you were protected from my wrath. I want people like you to produce offspring like you, which is the whole reason we were told to be fruitful and multiply. And, um, and, and, and I've had people say, you know, that are devout faith families who have a lot of children and they'll somehow say something like, don't you know what causes that? You know, you ever, uh, do you, you ever had anybody say that to you when you have a lot of kids, like they're the only person they think you, that's the first time you've ever heard that. Wow. Aren't you clever? I've never heard that before. Uh, yeah, we completely understand what causes that. And I don't have any plans stopping that anytime soon. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and so, you know, we've been, we're married. It's a blessing, uh, you know, from God, but I've had people say they continue to have children until God decides it's over because they were told to be fruitful and multiply. They were told to have to keep having children. Something God said. He, he didn't say be fruitful and multiply and, and unless you don't feel like it or that's not what you really want to do or anything like that. And and I and I will say that that it it, it is it is one of the things that probably when a lot of modern families you know since you don't have to have farm hands or anything like that started having these little tiny families, I think what we forget we're also taking the influence of the family of faith and we're shrinking it. We're not producing generational followers of Jesus, uh, and boy, and, and and boy, you look at the country, and you can you can see that that's that's had a very negative impact. Uh, but he says uh, that he wants them to be fruitful and multiply. Um, verse eight. Then then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, uh, "Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you." Uh, so let's let's look at this um, uh, because it, it's clear. Uh, that God has uh, has 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 looked forward in verse seven to people in earth enjoying the bounty of God's creation to move out uh, onto the earth to tame and care for the animal creation and to tend uh, to to the plant life uh, and we see this what also to execute justice uh, 
Um, so when we start getting into these um, these verses 8 through 17, and I've kind of stepped in them a little bit, God's covenant with mankind and all living things, uh, and starting in verse 8, God is, communica- uh, God is communicating uh, with Noah and his sons. And then verse 9, God's covenant is not just with Noah, but with Noah and his sons. And then verse 10, he's also making some sort of covenant with, with every living creature. So, so what, it, what exactly is, is going on here? Because he says in 10, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast on earth. And then verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a, shall there be a flood, and underline that, to destroy the earth. So we see the covenant now. So, and this is the first time we see a covenant that God has in Scripture, and and we talked about that before. You see this covenant coming in, and God is saying to the humans right here that went through all this, and to all the animals that went through all this, "Hey, heads up! I'm not going to do that again." Now, He is not saying He's not going to destroy the earth. He's saying I'm not going to destroy it again by a flood. We're not going to do it this way again, and I'm going to I'm making a covenant with you that I'm not going to do that. So in this, as we're starting out, we see that first covenant from God with these new people, uh, or the people that, that survived the flood, and the animals, that they, they do not have to endure that particular destruction again. So this is really cool when you look at 11 when he says, I'm not going to destroy it by water anymore. Here it is again. God is, is in control of the water, and he will not destroy the, the earth by water again. Humans still as highest creature. But the animals actually are benefiting. How are they benefiting? From their association with mankind. The fact that y'all are here with them, I'm not going to flood y'all either. So they're, they're benefiting from their association with mankind. And then look at, uh, this is very interesting, and we can unpack something here that's, that's affecting our, our modern day. And, and I'm, I'm going to get some pushback on it, but that's all right. Um, I've, I've been I've been pushed back before. Uh, in verse twelve, and God said, "There's the sign. There is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations." Thirteen, I have set my bow. That's the rainbow. I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and earth. So, what is the rainbow a sign of? God's covenant with man and the earth that he will not destroy it by water again, okay? That's what the covenant is. Verse, I have set my bow in the cloud. And, uh, and, and then look at 14. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, meaning don't freak out when you see rain clouds showing up. Some of y'all been through this. Y'all remember the last time I brought clouds? It's going to traumatize you a little bit uh, because y'all never seen that before. And I started dropping water out of the sky, and I had water coming up from the earth, and it was kind of bad. Y'all going to see rain clouds again, but when you remember my rainbow, when you see it, you're going to know I'm only going to let it rain so much. So, by the way, can we rest assured sitting in this room right now, watching wherever you are, listening wherever you are, there may be times where we see flood, which we have seen that. But we know that this earth is not going to be destroyed by water. I don't care how much water's coming. It's not going to happen because guess who's in control of the water? God is. He tells it where to go. He tells it when to stop. He tells it when to start. And he's established that. Now, there, there's a movement 
in, 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 in our world, in our country, of people who have said, and, and their sin is no greater than anybody else's sin, it's just with any sin that's unrepentant, you're, you're, you're not reconciled back to God, that says everything that God said in Genesis about gender and about marriage and about sexuality, we reject. And some reject God completely. Some just say, I'm still going to be redeemed. I just reject this. I think you've changed your standard. You think it's a coincidence they picked a rainbow as their symbol? Does it make a little more sense now? Now, they may think it was random, but it's not. You know what this is? This is thumbing your nose at God. Here's your rainbow. And and you said you weren't going to destroy this place, so we're going to do this. You've promised you're not going to destroy it, so that's our symbol. And um, because if you think about it, what, what, what a weird choice uh, because that almost would lend itself to, you know, a movement about ethnicity if you want them different colors and all that. But this this is a this is a sexual revolution of gender and and redefining God's standard for marriage. And again, let me be clear. Uh, their sin doesn't require some special redemption, but it's not special and gets a pass. And and for them to wave around the rainbow is not is not just random. Even though many in the movement may think it's random. When you look at Scripture, you kind of see what's going on here. This is a defiant move to, to God Almighty. We, we, we will define sexuality. We will define marriage. We will define gender. And, oh, by the way, our symbol is going to be your promise and your covenant that you wouldn't destroy this place by water. Now, they're forgetting that he only said by water. Uh, but uh, but you know, that, that's being forgotten. But, uh, but it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's that... Um, if you remember that attitude, and you see it in children now, sadly? Now, you didn't see it when I was growing up or when a lot of you in this room were growing up because in those days, any man in authority was given authority to correct you if you were out of line. Remember that? And so everywhere you went, there were men that made sure you acted right, right? And then what started happening? You ain't my daddy. You, you can't tell me what to do. And, and that's kind of the attitude of some of this defiance toward God is you've, you, you said you weren't going to, you know, spank me. You can't spank me. And so we'll do whatever we want. Now that's not really understanding what God is saying here, but trust me, the choice of that symbol is not random. Um, so anyway, so we see what he is saying and look at 15. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Don't miss that part. It's not that it'll never be a flood again. There'll never be a flood that will destroy all flesh. We must read every word of the Bible and not make up our own version of it, okay? 16. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and remember that ever, the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And uh, 17. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant, that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Okay? So um, so we're pretty clear on what God is, is saying here. Uh, he's saying uh, the rainbow is something to remind Noah and his descendants that uh, they're not going to be destroyed as far as the earth by, by uh, water again. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of commentary on, is this the first time they'd ever seen this rainbow? 
and and we don't know. We don't know. It's it's um, it, it's not likely the first time because we just had rain, uh, and we had clouds, and we had a lot going on, and and then we had that clear away. It, it's it's not probably the first time they'd ever seen it. It's just the first time he said this is now a sign of the covenant. Uh, but we really don't know. Uh, the emphasis here should be put on the covenant, uh, and that in judgment once again, what God remembers mercy. It's a sign that, yes, God is a part of his character is judge. It is wrath. But you know what else we're reminded of every time we see it? His mercy. He, he, did, he did give us another chance, and he did, he did say, I'm not going to do this anymore. So you always see that working together, but you can't really understand his mercy if you don't understand his judgment. And I assure you these people understood his judgment. When you've been bouncing around in that thing out in the middle of all that for a while, you're like, wow, God's really powerful, and we're not. And for him to say, I've cleaned everything up. You can get off the boat now. That's a lot of mercy, and you're really you're really paying attention to that. So now there's going to be a preview of Noah's descendants next in nine, and we're going to run up on a much discussed thing that happens, and we're going to, we're going to kind of stop there and land a little bit because there's a lot to talk about. But now the sons in verse eighteen, the sons become the focal point. Okay, so let, let's look at this. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, why is that thrown in there? Well, you'll see. You'll see. So it's establishing, because remember, we already know what happened. Uh, you know, when Moses is writing this, he already knows what happened. And he's putting a little, hey, just taking note of, of who Ham is and who his son is. Canaan... The Canaanites turn out to be a real problem, uh, and and we're we're gonna we're gonna see that. So you see us being told that Ham is the father of Canaan, and look at nineteen. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these people of the whole earth were dispersed. Now, what does that mean? All ethnicities come from three, these three sons. Okay, and uh, and and that's that's important to note because people ask all the time, well, where did all the ethnicities come from? Well, they came from Noah's three sons. Um, and they're going to go out into different parts of the world, and and uh, they're going to uh, multiply, and they're going to grow, and and two of them, it's going to be a really good thing, and one, it's going to be a really bad thing, uh, and we'll see why here in a moment. Uh, so, verse twenty, verse twenty. Um, um, I, it, it, let me just say one more time, this thing about Canaan. Understand that God will instruct His people to destroy them, and their wickedness is going to bring God's judgment. And that, and they will be a thoroughly, I mean, thoroughly corrupt and depraved race of people. You, people, a lot of times when you see that when when finally after everybody got their act together, and God's people went into Canaan, and they were told he was they were told to eradicate them from the earth, that they were the these these people were depraved and and wicked and you hear this all the time. People saying, "Well, things have never been this bad." They really have. They really have been this bad. And, and 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 worse. We're just going back to acting like that again. Uh, but the the Canaanites they 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 were really 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 bad people. Uh, so much so, God said, "Don't leave anything left of them." Of course, they didn't listen. Uh, but but anyway, uh, so verse nineteen, I told you that. So now we get to verse twenty through twenty five, and once again, I put in my notes every time we get to one of these. Here we go. All right, so twenty to twenty five, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Uh, so all, man of soil, what, what, what does this mean? Uh, it could simply mean he's a farmer. Uh, 
uh, or it could be a reference to the similarities to Noah and Adam, both who were told to be fruitful and fill the earth with people because Adam was made from what? The soil. Uh, but it's likely that this also is referring to the fact that he's going to be farming. Uh, Adam was made by God from the soil. We know that it isn't the we know that Noah isn't the first to farm. So there's there's really no significant to that significance to that. Cain was clearly uh, a farmer, as we saw, and uh, so we know that Noah he he plants a vineyard. Uh, we do not think this uh, vineyard was the first ever, because that's some of the commentaries on what's about to happen. Most of the reliable people come back and say, "Eh, I, I don't think that's likely," because this was something that. Um, um, that was pretty common in God's people. Uh, maybe uh, it was kept on the ark so he could plant one when he got off the ark, you know, and, and they kept it alive. So, but remember, in times of peace, God's people often planted olives, figs, and grapes. So this this was a common move for one of God's people to say, the flood's over, I'm settling in, we're in a time of rest now, I'm going to go out and plant some figs, I'm going to plant some olives, you know, we know the olive branch came back with the dove, and I'm going to plant some grapes. That that was common for them to do that, uh, because when we get to what's about to happen, some try to suggest that there was some power in these grapes that Noah wasn't expecting. I'm not sure that's going to stand up. But anyway, uh, rye, uh, wine, because we're about to get to wine, always a fun topic. Wine is referred to in Psalms 104:15 as making glad the heart of man. But Scripture also refers to it as a mocker and a snare that we should be very careful with. So it's, um, you know, it's funny how the people who always go to Scripture uh, and and look for a green light to drink all they want to drink, and they always give you the Scriptures where it's it's being it's being okay, but they leave out all the ones that tells you the dangers of it and what's not allowed, which is pretty pretty standard uh, of of the human experience. To we we spend too much time and I've certainly been guilty of this, we spend too much time searching Scripture for what's allowed, and I wish we'd spend more time on searching Scripture for what's commanded. But our, but our human nature is, let me go find what I'm allowed to do as opposed to let me go search about my devotion to God. Let, let, me, let, me, let me search about what he requires of me. Let me search what it looks like to be truly devoted to God. Oh, no, I want to go through here and see how many things I'm still allowed to do. Uh, which really isn't what the Word of God's intended for, but um, but let's let's talk about what happens next. Twenty one. He drank of the wine and became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. All right. So there's Noah around this Noah, who was who was, I mean, he's generation. I mean, great granddaddy is Enoch. Okay, and 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 it's said that God says this is the guy that I find blameless compared to everybody else. I'm going to I'm going to protect him and his three sons and their three wives and his wife. He's one of eight, and he's really the reason. They're, I'm putting them in there because of him. And here he is drunk. So it shows you that uh, perfection is not here yet. Uh, and you see that Noah has got some flaws. Now, some of you say, well, Rick, why are you getting on Noah about getting drunk? Well, I'll tell you why, because it's sin. Uh, in Scripture, if if y'all want to have an alcohol conversation, we can have one. But but Scripture could not be clear that drunkenness is a sin and leads to all sorts of debauchery. That's in Ephesians. So let me read to you how many times in Scripture that drunkenness is addressed as sin. Job twelve twenty five. 
Psalms 107, 27, Proverbs 23, 21, Romans 13, 13, and 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 6, 10. Do you know what list this is? The people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guess who's sitting there at verse 10? The drunks. And they're right there with the homosexual, right there with the adulterer, right there with the fornicator, the liar, the thief, the drunks on that list. 1 Corinthians 6.10, look it up for yourself. Drunk, uh, drunks do not inherit the kingdom of God if they're unrepented about it. Uh, Galatians, because what, what does Paul say to them? And some of you once were this way. So you, can't, you don't stay that way when you've been redeemed because you, that's sin. That, and then we see 1 John saying that no one who claims that they know Christ continues to live in deliberate, perpetual sin. We're not talking about stumbles and making mistakes. We're talking about knowing and not struggling with sin but living a life of sin. And if you have just said, well, I get drunk and that's just who I am, uh, and certainly you may have, you know, I would tell people to be very careful with anything they had to develop an organization that is that has that name in it and anonymous. Okay, if you see rehab centers set up for something, you probably won't stay away from it, or at least be real careful with it. You know, it, you know people that you know when people say, "What does the Bible have to say about gambling?" I said, "I just see gambling destroy everybody's lives, so I just don't fool with it." Uh, I got, an, I look, I create enough trouble for myself anyway. I, I don't need to. I don't need to make my life more difficult uh, to be in, uh, in to be right with God. I have a hard enough time with it anyway, uh, with things that I that I just my flesh in general. So uh, Galatians five twenty one, drunkenness is a sin. Ephesians five eighteen, it leads to all kinds of debauchery. First Peter four three, uh, we we even find out in um, in, in Lamentations, and we find out in um, I can't say this prophet's name. Hab, hab, how you say it? Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Uh, in Habakkuk 2.16 in Lamentations 4.21, you know what it talks about? And we're about to see it. That the combination of being inebriated, that's drunk for those of you from Calhoun County, and nude is shameful. Well, what's about to happen? Noah's naked and drunk. Okay? And, I mean, he's drank so much. He just I don't know what it is because I used to be a drunk. You end up naked a lot. And, uh, and, and so the... Uh, uh, and, and this is this this is one of the problems, you know, uh, that, that they're talking about. So, it's it's interesting that Noah's experience here with wine is uh, is is shown. I want you to take a note of this, okay? And 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 this this is just important. This is God helping us a little bit, and it says this throughout Scripture. The very first time when God starts over with Noah and his family, the very first time that alcohol is presented the very first time we only see the bad side of it. It's not he didn't start out with going, Noah planted a vineyard and he and his son sat around and they started telling football stories and and uh and didn't get drunk and they had a great time and uh it was a wonderful time of fellowship. Uh and and no the very first time you see the vineyard show back up, it gets somebody naked and drunk. And that is that's the first sign of it you see. And that's God saying, this is dangerous stuff. Be careful with it. I, don't for, I do not think that God forbids it. Uh, you know, and I know that that could be a debate with other people, and I don't want to get into that. But, but I do not believe that the Scripture, when it talks about wine, is talking about grape juice. I just don't think that can stand up biblically. Because if it's grape juice, then why am I being warned about not drinking too much of it? Is there some sin to drink too much grape juice? I mean, no, what I'm being warned about is this drink will make you drunk, and you'll, it leads to all kinds of debauchery, so you need to be real careful with it. 
Well, then why, why is it dangerous? Well, it's dangerous because it has alcohol. That's why it's dangerous. And, and so, and now it is true to say there's one way that I'll never be drunk, and that is don't fool with it at all, right? That's just common sense. Uh, and, and if it's a problem for you, then you got to get, you, you got to get rid of it. Uh, because you know, if if it's, if it's, if it's a stumbling block block for you to be right with God, then it's got to get out of your life. You got to quit justifying it. And because there's warnings about that in scripture. Uh, and it says, um, um, and so the, then, then we get into the, 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 the discussions that are fascinating, but I'm just got bad news for you. Moses doesn't tell us why he got drunk. So there's then you get into commentary. Now you think about one that I've I've heard that makes a lot of sense um, is that Noah's been through a lot. I mean, this has been this has been rough. Every single person he knew, other than his three sons and their wives and his wife, they're all dead. You think these are the only people he knew? You think he wasn't trying to warn people, saying, "Man, I'm telling you, God's." It's coming, and they didn't listen. And so everybody's dead, but them. And um, and I, I there, there's a thought that he just sat down, and he needed a drink of wine, and it got away from him. It just got away from him. He's a, he's a flawed guy. It's just no more complicated than that. Uh, there's others that try to make the the case that he didn't realize the power of these of the vineyard that this was something new to him he didn't understand it and i'm i'm not sure that's going to stand up the bottom line is noah messed up and and that's really kind of where we need to land what he did was sin but we also see something happen next um that we need to be aware of too and 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 i'll tell you what else if you're going to see your father kind of get in a, in a bad way and you see that he's made a mistake, and you see that he's embarrassed himself, I tell you what you don't do. You don't make fun of him. Because the, the reaction to that is severe. And In and, and this culture, you, one of the worst things you could do was not to honor your mother and father, to, to, to be disrespectful or shameful to them. We've kind of lost that a little bit, and um, I think that's something God tells us to do that. I think that we should... We should do that. I've even had people say, well, why should I have to honor you know, bad parents? I, I, God didn't tell you to love them. He said to honor them. That means that we should live our lives and treat them in a way that brings honor to them, not shame, regardless of how flawed they may be. So, And we see this, uh, we see the, and it doesn't mean that if they did things wrong that it's okay. That's not what it means. It means we honor them because we're told to honor them by God, and we live a life that brings honor to them, even if you think they don't deserve it. Okay? So... Um, so now we see what happens next. So he drank of the wine, became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, you see how Moses, Moses makes sure we know that? And I'll tell you, the father of that kid, um, uh, saw the nakedness of his father and went out and told his brothers outside. Uh, then Shem and Japheth, I mean Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. You see the difference? Ham goes in there, sees him, looks at him, comes out and starts telling his brothers about it. There's certainly an indication that he was making fun of him or laughing about it. or He certainly didn't go in there and hide his eyes from it. He looked upon his dad's nakedness. Now, there's 
because of this reaction, there's people saying that you know Ham might have gone further and been lewd about it, or or something took place that was beyond just looking at him and um, and laughing about it. We don't know. I think that again may be just somebody trying to make this story more palatable for them. I don't know, but but the but the bottom bottom line is here: what Ham did was wrong, and it was it was a biggie. And you see this happens, and you almost see God's reaction to what Ham did exceeding the reaction to what Noah did. Not that what Noah did was okay, but it seems to be a burning here, a severity of earthly repercussions on this more so than even Noah's drunkenness, uh, even though the drunkenness was was certainly a sin because Scripture says it was. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to talk about what we do know. Ham's actions were so terrible, and, and, and we know due to the fall that back when Adam and Eve first discovered they were naked, would God say, who told you you were naked? It, now we go from nakedness as something not to be ashamed of to now something that should be private. It, it's to be covered. It, it, there is shame, and, and you see that demons, I was kidding around earlier, but it's true. What's one of the first things you see uh, d- demonic possessed people usually do? They strip themselves naked. Uh, you know, to because this is all that mocking the fall of mankind, and uh, so it was it was disrespectful to let your dad lay there naked like that and not cover him up, and also to look upon his nakedness. Uh, this was considered to be shameful. So we see now Noah's reaction, and uh, and he takes this very very serious. When Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his youngest son had done, here's what. Noah said. Now, the first line really threw me when I went back and was looking over the skin. He doesn't say, uh, cursed be Ham. He said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall be shall he be to his brothers. And he also said, blessed be the Lord of the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. 27. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So, so what, what in the world is going on here? So Noah's reaction is harsh, but hands the curse down on Ham's youngest son. Now, we know it's the youngest one because the next chapter, go over, look over at chapter 10 right now. So you should be able to see it. Look at 6, verse 6 of chapter 10. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. So there's the shows right there. He's the youngest son. Um, so we know that. Um, and do you know what the, the commentaries and the studies of, of scripture with these theologians are saying the, the curse is handed to Canaan because Noah really couldn't hand it down on Ham because God had just made a covenant with Ham. So he now cover now Ham's kind of protected under the covenant. There's only so much Noah can do to him. So he shifts and says, well, I'm putting the curse down on your youngest son then. Now, the first time in Scripture that someone has a curse handed down is right now. And, and just like the first creation, once again, once sin has entered into these people, everything goes off the rails really quickly. And, and you kind of see the same deal here. Um, you know, you look back at, the, the, at Adam, and he had two sons that seemed to have their act together, then he had one that just went off the rails. And um, and and here we see the 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 line of Ham 
of the three sons is going off the rails while you see the other two, Shem, look at 26, 27. He gets a brief blessing by having Canaan be his servant. The Lord, uh, God here may be, when it talks about that, may be referring to the covenant that God will have um, with the Semites. That, that's going to be the descendants of Shem. And guess who is one of the uh, descendants of Shem? Abraham. So that that's probably what he's talking about here when he's saying this is the blessing coming, that, that his descendants are going to take us to Abraham, which is going to take us you know, um, in, into um, another covenant that God will make with Abraham. So... Um, and, and then God's uh, to Japheth's territory. He, he enlarges Japheth's territory, and his influence is going to be enlarged. But, but we're really not sure about the term dwell in the tents of Shem and what that exactly means. But likely it just refers to uh, situations in which the Gentiles that will be in the line of Japheth, that they'll at times a lot, uh, they'll, they'll be allies with Shem and his, his descendants, and they'll be a more powerful force as an alliance. I think the part of the blessing is you're also going to team up with your brother and his and your descendants and his descendants will actually work together at some point. Um, and we know that Canaan will also be in servitude to Japheth as to Shem. So, um, so this is uh, this is an interesting historical event in our in our world, and we know that uh, Ham's son Canaan goes on to produce, like I say, some of the most wicked people the earth has ever seen, all from this curse, all from a dad making a decision to do things the way he wanted to do them and not the way God told him to do them. All, all Ham's got to do is not do that. And um, and he, he, he makes that decision, and it turned out to be a very, very harsh reaction from Noah, and apparently what was handed down was approved and carried out by God because of the lack of respect and honor that was paid to Noah uh, when he made a mistake. So then in verse 28, after the flood, Noah lived uh, 350 years, which combined that all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Sometimes Moses, he just he's not real eloquent, is he? And then he died. Uh, so, so, uh, so that's it. So Noah... The man who God kept from his wrath to start the human race again is now dead. Uh, and um, and in 950 years, um, a lot was was done. So um, we'll come back next week. Now, I do want to, to you to take a note. Um, we will be here next Wednesday, but then I'm on vacation uh, the um, – 14th through the 18th, is that that week? So uh, whatever the Wednesday is on that week, we won't be here uh, because I'll be on vacation. Then we'll come back uh, the, the following week, So, which I think is would be the 23rd. Is that right? March 23rd. So uh, so we'll be here next week um, and on the 9th, and then we'll be, we will not be here on the 16th, and then we'll be back on the 23rd. Okay, so y'all make a note of that out there too. And for some of you, when, when we don't have a new one, it's a great time to go and, and catch some of the ones – that you may have missed in the past, because um, I don't, I don't want you to take this Wednesday study of the Word of God, and uh, and and you be you. It's if you take one week off, a lot of times you get out of the routine, and it's easy. Suddenly, missing one turns into missing two, turns into missing three, and then before you know it, you've developed a bad habit. So there's plenty for you to go and study uh, on the one Wednesday that we won't be here. So let's uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you uh, for this. Um, 
for this message. Thank you for the warnings that are here. I'm, I find myself thinking, how many things in my life that I, I know what you've said, uh, but I still don't take them serious enough. And, um, and, and, and when you, we, we don't play games when it comes to sin, and we don't ignore the warnings. But even in those times that we don't ignore your warning, I mean, we do ignore your warnings, and we make our mistakes. If we come back and we repent and, and, and we ask for your mercy, you give it. To all who repent, you give it. Uh, so help us, Lord, today to take away everything that you intended. And thank you for the covenant that you made that you will not destroy this earth uh, by water again. But we do know that Peter warns us you are going to destroy it again. And as Peter says in Second Peter, we said it a, a lot talking about the first time, Lord, that you brought the floods, that the fire is coming. And Peter says, with with your with you letting us know that it's not like you've held this from us. Uh, we would we we seems like if we believe that we would live lives that were more holy, and more godly. Help us to not be afraid to assess areas of our life that we need to address. And thank you for this time today. In your holy name, we pray. Amen. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week.